If you're visiting this morning, we've just been taking care of a little bit of family business between the baby dedication and an update on our campaign. So thank you for your patience. And let's go ahead and start getting into the Word. This is the month where we think about Easter. And one of the things that I love about Easter is it reminds me of the miracle-working God that we have. This is a resurrection religion, and I love the fact that we focus and we think about the miracles that God does specifically during this time of the year. Not that He doesn't act and move all year long, but I love the month of Easter. So this morning, I wanted to talk about something that I think affects all of us, that we've all been dealing with, and that is doubt. And so we're calling today Dealing with Doubts. And it's one of those things that we don't schedule an appointment with doubt. We don't say, tomorrow morning at, excuse me, at noon, we're going to have doubt. Well, just give me a minute here. And yet, doubt comes unbidden to our mind. All right, who's not praying for me out there? (laughs) Y'all need to get busy praying for me. No, okay. So we're thinking about doubt, and let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Because we want to know his mind, his thought on every area of our life. So let's begin. Now, the Bible talks in five different ways about doubt. It has five different Greek words, and so I've summarized those so that we don't have time nor the inclination to go over the Greek words. So this is what they mean. The words mean, I'm of two minds about it. Just can't quite make up my mind. I don't know what to do. When you're feeling that, that's doubt. I'm up in the air about it is the third I'm hesitating, and I'm not sure. So when the Bible talks about doubt, it's, it's using one of these five examples. So what does Jesus have to say? Now, someone has asked about wisdom, and so Jesus says, if you want wisdom, this is what you need to do. But if you want wisdom, let him ask, and really it's for anything that you're asking God for. Whatever you're asking God for, <clears throat> ask in faith with no doubting. Now, the doubt here is the, is the meaning of, I'm of two minds about it. I can't quite make up my mind. One day I think this, and the next day I wake up and I think that. This is the doubt that he's talking about here. For the one who doubts, who can't make up their mind about it, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. So we can see here that if we are wanting something from God's hand, if we are needing something from God's hand, when we ask, Jesus is saying, you need to ask in faith and don't, don't doubt. Don't think this one day and something else the next day. Because he said, if you think that way, you're not going to receive it from me. So the moment he tells you not to do something like, Sin not. What's the first thing you think of? Well, I know I'm going to sin again. So when he says doubt not, the first thing we think of is, well, how in the world am I going to stop doubting? Because there's things I don't understand. There's things I don't know. There's areas that I have not grown in my faith yet to trust God in certain ways. So I'm going to break it down. And when you think of the word doubt, when you think of, well, what does doubt mean to me? It generally goes in two areas. I'm going to hammer these two questions home because this, this is what I want you to take away from today. 
Any area that we're doubting God, either his provision or his care or his ability or his power or his compassion, whatever area you find yourself doubting God, you're really saying one of two things. You're saying, is it worth it? That what God's asking me to do, where God's asking me to go, the discipleship God's asking me to do, whether it's tithing or, or, or whatever the situation is, when we have doubt, one of the things that we're thinking of, whether we realize it or not, is, is it worth it? Is what God's saying, me following Christ, being a disciple, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And the second question that we ask ourselves most of the time, subconsciously, is it true? Is what he's saying true? Are these claims true? Are the verses true? Is it true? Now, doubt is kind of like a halfway house. There's no, no such thing as full doubt. I am fully doubtful about that because then that would just be unbelief. If you, if you doubt totally, then that's just unbelief. But doubt is kind of like halfway in the middle. Sometimes I believe God, and then the next day I wake up, and I'm not so sure. And sometimes I think, yes, God will do it, or God's asking me to do that, and the next day, I, well, I'm not so sure. That's doubt. It's hesitancy. It's, it's, it's halfway. Read this sentence with me, please. You don't have to understand to believe. Let's read it again. You don't have to understand to believe. So as we're walking our, our life in Christ, as we become a believer, as we step out in faith, you might think, well, I, I don't understand the book of Revelation. I don't understand the end times. I don't understand uh, the reincarnation, of, or the, the resurrection of Christ. I don't understand. But the thing here is, we don't have to understand everything to believe something. And that's really important. Because sometimes what keeps us from taking a step of faith to trust God in a new way is the fact that we don't understand. We can't explain. What if someone asks me to explain the, the, the spiritual laws of whatever? What if someone asks me to understand or to explain the tabernacle? I won't know how to do that. We don't have to understand everything to believe what Jesus has said is true about us. His death on the cross for our sin. His love and compassion for us. His desire that we love each other. Those are the things that we need to understand. So let's think of some examples of what Jesus says about doubt. Is there anyone here in the last year that has found themselves doubting something about what God has said or something about what God's asking to do or something about your relationship with God? Because my hand will be up first. Is anybody... Okay, good. We're in the right room. We're in the right crowd. This is a very common story about when Peter was going to walk on the water, and he sees Jesus out there. And what's happened before this verse is Pete's like, well, just ask me to come, God, and I'll come. Jesus, ask me to come, and I'll, I'll step out, and I'll come. So Peter steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on water. But when he saw the wind... Now, he's doing it. He's, he's taking that step of faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand 
and what? Caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, doubt in this verse is, is the meaning that said hesitate. Why did you hesitate? Why did you stop? Why didn't you keep taking that step of faith? Why didn't you keep believing me? Why did you hesitate? Ye of little faith, why did you hesitate? But what I love about this example is that Jesus does not throw us out if we have a doubt. He doesn't. If we have a, a, a concern or a thought, Jesus will reach for us even in our doubts. Because it says that Jesus caught him. Jesus said, well, you, you doubted. Why did you doubt? But even as he's saying that, he's reaching out his hand to catch Peter and to pull him back to himself. So that's the first thing I want us to, to, to sow into our heart, that Jesus will reach out to us if we have a doubt. If there's something that we don't quite understand that we haven't figured out, and there will be those things that we don't understand, that we will not understand why God has done something or why God has refused to do something. That's really important for us because as we grow in the faith, we're going to be expected to take steps of faith. As we, as we grow in the faith, we're going to... We're going to um, do baptisms. Maybe we're going to open up our home and, and invite people over and have a small group. Maybe we're going to go to an encounter. Maybe we feel the leading to open up, a, to start a business. We're going to be taking steps of faith. And if we don't understand that, that, that we can have these times of doubt and God still loves us, God will still reach out to us. If we understand that we don't have to have it all figured out, we don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have the answer to everything. We can relax and we can allow God to speak to us. We can allow God to show us what we need to know. And that is comforting to me to know that I can relax and I can allow God to speak and show me that next thing I need to know. Show me that next step I need to take. He goes on to say in another place, I tell you the truth, sons and daughters, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Now, a lot of uh, sermons have been preached on this verse and a lot of things have been said on, on both sides. But what, what I want you to hear about this verse today is this, you have no idea what God wants to do through you and what God will accomplish through you if you continue to trust him. If you move past your doubts and you continue to trust, you have no idea. There's another verse that said that our, our eyes haven't seen and our ears have never even heard what God has prepared. He already has it in store for us. But if we stop, if we hesitate and do not move forward, I'm just going to stay here. I'm comfortable. You know, I know I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I, I'm doing some things I know I should do and I'm trying to stay away from things I know I shouldn't do. But I'm just going to stay right here. If we hesitate in that way, we'll never get to the place where God says, are y'all in? I have got so much in store for you. I've got relationships that you only dreamed about. 
I've got relationships, the richness of them that you only think is a fantasy. But if we stop, if we hesitate, if we don't trust God, and when that doubt comes in, we allow it to derail us, we'll miss the mighty, incredible things that God has for us. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. And this is a story where Jesus has gathered a huge crowd. And one of the things that Jesus needed to do when he gathered a crowd is he would need to feed them. Because in that culture, food was hard to come by. It wasn't like here where there's a a hamburger place on every corner. And it was very scarce. It was hard to prepare. And so for people to be fed at a a thing where they're all day was, was miraculous. So Jesus had gathered these large crowds. And people loved Jesus. I know we have an idea of who he is and what he was like, and, you know, we have the commandments and we have all these rules, but the people that walked the same ground that Jesus walked on, they loved him. He must have presented an entirely different picture than the one I have in my mind sometimes because the crowds loved Jesus. So they had gathered, and the Bible says that Jesus always had compassion on those people. You know, some of them were sick. They were tired. A lot of them were poor. And Jesus had compassion on them. But there was another thing about the crowds that was important to note. There were so many hundreds and thousands of people following Jesus that it was almost like a buffer between them, between Jesus and the people that were always trying to arrest him, murder him, derail him, and that was the Pharisees. So whenever there was a large crowd around, they couldn't even get close enough to enact whatever plan they had for him because there were always hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people around. In fact, when he finally was arrested, you'll remember it was in the garden with only a few of his disciples. There were no crowds there. Because a lot of times, if if the Pharisees had showed their hands and said, okay, we're going to arrest you, there would have been rioting because those people loved Jesus. They loved who he was, how he treated them, how he talked to them, how he understood them. So Jesus is feeding them, and he starts getting more... um, more frank with them. He's like, you know, I want to tell you something. We're feeding you bread. I'm giving you bread. But I, want, I actually have something that is going to be more satisfying to you than bread. And when you take what I have to really give you, he said, you'll never be hungry again. And he keeps talking and he says, and actually... What I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to eat my body and drink my blood. Well, of course, that's a shocking thing to hear even now. But you can imagine back then. And they're like, okay, he lost us. The crazy train is leaving the building. They get their phones out. Hashtag, this guy's crazy. We're going to turn away now. We're not going to follow him anymore. And it says that the crowd slowly started to disperse. Starting with the edges, they slowly turned and started walking away. Because the question we always ask ourselves is, is it true? Is it worth it? They were asking themselves that question. Is this guy for real? Is he for real? Is Is he crazy? He really thinks this. I believe he really thinks this. Is it worth it? 
Is it worth doing the things he says we're going to have to? Is it worth it? Is it true? And they started leaving. They started dispersing. And the disciples see the people leaving. And I can imagine that going over in their mind is, is it worth it? Is it true? So they watch the people leaving. And Jesus turns and says, first of all, the disciples, not the 12, but the the extended crowd, on hearing Jesus say these hard things, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know, you hear our stories about giving to the building fund. We ask you, join a small group. If you're going to be part of this body, we love you. Join a small group so we can pray for you, so we can see your miracles happen in your life. This is a hard teaching. I already come on Sunday. Now you're saying we really want you to come during the week. This is a hard teaching. From this time, Many of his disciples turned back and what? No longer followed him. From the time they heard Jesus start to really get real with them, he wasn't talking in riddles and parables now. He was saying, you know what? This is what it's going to cost to be my disciple. From that moment, is it worth it? Is that really true what he's saying? And they slowly started to disappear. Imagine the disciples were thinking, "Uh uh-oh, the buffer is leaving. The crowd is leaving. So Jesus said, you don't want to leave too, do you? He asked the 12. Now this is Jesus asking, you can't lie to Jesus. You can lie to me, you can lie to your kid, you can lie to your spouse. You can't lie to Jesus. He already knows the truth. The truth you don't want to know and the truth that exists, he already knows. So, you know, there's no, there's no pretense with him. So, they're not going to say, well, I know, we never considered leaving. Because he knew they were thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth it? We've left our fish. We've left our homes. We've left our spouses. We've left. Is it worth it? Is what he's saying even true? And doubt comes in. Do you want to leave too? Their doubt was just about to take them out. Let me tell you why this this particular incident is so pivotal. Because they are standing on the precipice of destiny. And we are in that same place, standing on the edge of destiny. One choice, if they had made the other choice, we wouldn't be naming our sons John, and Matthew, and Luke, we'd be naming them, I don't know what, Thor or something, who knows. But, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would not be the favorites down throughout history if they had chosen and said, you know what, I really don't think this is worth it. I really don't. And I don't even know if I really believe, because I know I don't understand what he's saying. So this was a very important time. And don't think for one moment that you don't have those times when doubt comes in and you have a choice to make. Do I go ahead and take that step of faith or do I just take a step back? Because let me just tell you something really quick about doubt. 
One of the ways it comes in is, is if we stop growing. You think, well, that doesn't make any sense. How does doubt come in if I stop growing? And let me explain it. Because when we step out in faith, when we hear truth, when you hear truth on Sunday morning, when you read your Bible, when you have your devotions, when you're speaking one to another, and you hear truth, if you act on it, you grow, right? The truth that we act on is what is, what is alive in us. If you hear truth and you decide, you know what? That's too hard. I'm not going to do that. That's, that's crazy. I'm not going to step across that line. I'm just going to stay right where I am. But what happens is the truth we don't act on, the truth we don't enable in our own lives becomes irrelevant to us, becomes peripheral to us. And truth that becomes irrelevant to us is no longer truth. It's no longer truth to us if we're not acting on it. So that's why I say, if you don't act on what you know to be true, doubt has an inroad in your life, and it can take you out. Peter, love this, saw something. Now, the disciples must have been thinking about that time when he's saying that crazy thing that they can't understand. They must have been thinking, this is true. And I wonder how many of them thought, I'm just going to slip away with the 72 disciples that are slipping away. Peter saw something, and he asked the one question that we can't lose sight of when we're going through doubt. When we're wondering if this is worth it, getting up, going, praying, sacrificing, serving, giving, loving, is it worth it? I could be at the beach right now. I could be on holiday right now. I could be doing all kinds of things with my money. Is it worth it? Peter has the secret. And I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus said, I'm building my church on that foundation. Because he sees something. A lot of times when we say, it's not worth it, I'm going to walk away. We're, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that we're walking away from Jesus. We're walking away from whatever. But we're not thinking what we're walking toward. We're not thinking, well, if I give that up, I know what my life was like before. Am I going to go back to that now? What am I? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? If I decide that after thinking, is it worth it? If I decide, you know what? It's not worth it. Right now, where I am in my life, where I am in this relationship, where I am in my, it's not worth it. Peter had the discernment to say, wait a minute, if I leave you, where am I going to go? Am I going to go back to my fishing nets? Are you going to go back to that unhealthy relationship? You think, well, I'm not in the same place now. I'll be in a better place. But to leave one thing, you're still going somewhere else. Where are you going if you leave your Savior? Where are you going? And Peter had the insight to figure that out. We better know before you go. You better realize, recognize, and understand 
you're not just leaving Christ or leaving this part of discipleship or leaving this. You're going somewhere else. I want to end um, very quickly. Talk about two different ways that doubt, which we know can take us out, can derail us from the destiny that God has for us. How, they, how it comes in. And there are other ways, but I'm going to just focus on these two because they're, I think you'll see yourself in these two ways. The first way is depleted emotions. How many of you have been on an encounter? Just any of the encounters here. Okay, if you look around, there's most of us. A lot of us have been on an encounter. And one of the things that we hear is, a couple days after the encounter, what's the most common thing that we hear? I don't know what happened. Anyway, I was, it was so wonderful. And I get home and all, I'll say it, all hell breaks loose once I get home. Was it worth it? Did what I experienced in the encounter, was that even real? I mean, were we just in some kind of cult-like environment and we just all thought the same thing? Was it real? Because it's all going crazy now. And we don't realize, and when we go through any time where there's strong emotions, it could be that you're angry for a week about something that's unresolved. Anytime you have strong emotions and that time ends, because you can only be in this heightened state unless you're on drugs. You can only be in that heightened state of emotions for a while, and then your body has to... Go back to normal, right? So you've had this, this heightened state of emotions, whether it's anger or whether it's euphoria, or whether it's joy or whatever it is, and those emotions leave because life goes back to normal. Water levels itself off, and then you don't feel anything then. It's like you're numb. Some people say they felt cold. And when you feel those, those depleted feelings, you're like, well, where's God? And doubt comes in. Well, did I really experience God? Am I really saved? Did I really just get baptized? Why do I feel like this? And that is a, a really pivotal time when doubt comes in. And if we can just realize this is going to pass, refresh yourself. I was, I'm thinking of the story of the prophet that, that was up against the prophets of Baal, and, and it was this big showdown on Mount Carmel. And when it was over, uh, Queen Jezebel, the wicked queen, was after him, and he was just like so sad because he'd been in this heightened state of, of warring and battle, and that was over, and he's just like, oh, I'm going to die. Nobody loves me. I'm going to die. And what did God, do you remember the story? What did God do to, to, to strengthen the prophet again? Something very spiritual. He baked him some bread. He said, here, eat some bread. Have some wine. Have some water. Replenish yourself. But we get kind of crazy, and we feel that way. We feel like, I don't feel anything. I feel numb. I feel cold. And we start dramatizing everything. Is anybody here a drama person? I almost said drama queen, but it could be drama king. Okay, there's a couple of us here, yeah. It's like, and we start injecting our own dialogue. Well, God must not care. God must not know. He must not like me. He must be mad at me. He must like her more. And we start inserting dialogue when really we just need to relax, take a nap, have some bread, and replenish ourselves. That's the first time doubt has a wide open door because we're vulnerable physically. If you're standing with me, we'll do the second one and the last one together. 
Now, this is a funny little phrase. You doubt for joy. That doesn't even make sense. And I, I was trying to think about it. I thought, that doesn't even make sense. But it's from Luke, the 24th chapter. And where we are is, Jesus had died. He was resurrected. Lots of people saw him. And we're a few days later. And some of the disciples are, are across the lake. And Jesus is on the other side of the lake. But he's in his resurrected body. Who knows what that looked like? I mean, he, they could recognize him sort of. It's like, well, it kind of looks like him. But... And this is the kind of doubt that comes in. When there's a place in our heart that we haven't told anybody about. A place that has not been healed yet. And how I'll explain it is the disciples see Jesus on the other side of the lake. And they're like, they have seen him die. They saw the torture. They saw him laid in the tomb. They saw all that. So when they see someone across the lake that kind of looks like him, like, it can't be him. And the Bible says they doubted for joy because there was something in them that wanted to believe that it was really him. That what he had said all along was true. But there was another part of them that if it's not true, if that's not Jesus, something in me is going to be destroyed and I'm afraid I'll never get it back. I'm afraid I'll never be healed if I believe that that's him. When I know I saw him die. And so it said they doubted even though they felt joy stirring, they wanted to believe. And I believe that every one of us have at least one thing that we've never told anyone else. And it's such a wound in our heart that if we were going to wish for something, we were going to ask God one thing, this would be the one thing but it's the one thing we can ask God because if it doesn't happen, I'm afraid I'll leave the faith. I'm afraid I won't have the strength to trust him ever again. That's where the disciples were. They wanted to believe that everything he said was true. And he's over there saying, it's me. Like, I don't want to believe it. You can't fool me again. And what does Jesus do? Does he hover like an apparition in the air? Does he speak in some scary, spooky voice? Because we know we couldn't touch him. No. He says, hey, are you guys hungry? You guys hungry? I've got some fish. Got some bread. And the Bible says, suddenly... They knew it was him. He showed himself to them in a different way. He put himself in a different context. And just that shifting, just God revealing himself to them in a different way, they were able to say, it is him, it is him, it is him, it's true. And it says, 
Weeks later, they left Jerusalem screaming, not about what they even believed yet, but about what they had seen. They still might have had some doubts, but they knew what they saw. And that's what they went and told everybody. And it turned the world upside down. So for those of us that have that doubt that's come in, because I do not, I can't trust him with this last little wound. It will devastate me if it's not true. If God cannot heal this, if God does not show up in this, I will be destroyed. I'm here to say, trust Him. Trust Him. Don't trust me. Don't trust yourself. But trust Him. I'm going to ask the pastors to come forward, and, and Rick and Betty as well, to come forward. And I'm going to ask if you are struggling with doubt in some area. It doesn't have to be this one area that you're not telling anybody about, but just something that you know, this is just silly. I shouldn't be struggling with this anymore. I just need someone to agree with me, and I'm going to move past it. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to be halfway through. I'm going to move past it. I'm going to look. It's going to be behind me. I'd like you to come forward. We're going to get just a moment. If you're visiting, you might think it's strange that people leave their seat and come forward. But we do it as an act of faith because there's something about our bodies when we move, things start to become more real to us. So I invite you to come forward and have the pastors pray with you or you're welcome to come and pray by yourself. We'll give it a few moments and then I will bless you. Father, we want to tell you that we love you. We adore you. We thank you that you have come to set us free from fear and from doubt, from greed, from lust, from anger. And Lord, we trust you this morning that you will do what you have started out to do and that you'll complete that work. So, Father, I ask right now that you show us any area that we're hesitating, any part of our life where we're not being blessed because we 
are of two opinions, that we're of two minds. Father, help us to trust you and move forward, move past it. Lord, I thank you that you are utterly able, utterly willing to be that strength in our life. I want to thank you for everyone that has come here that has put you first this morning, giving you the first part of our week as an offering. We ask that the rest of our week, our time, be blessed. Our health, be blessed. Our finances, God, we trust you to do what you said you would do. And we honor you this morning. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. We'll leave quietly as they're praying. We love you. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you next week. <laughs>